from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Good morning, security gang, and welcome to another episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast. It's Monday, April 3rd, 2023, and what a Monday it is. Now, here's the deal. I'm not really recording this on a Monday. I know, all of you are shocked. <laughs> I am flying to Israel I had to record this the night before. So the news stories we're covering are from the weekend, unless something happened from the time I boarded my flight to the time I got to Israel and the airing of this episode, then, you know, uh, I'll cover that tomorrow in a live show directly from Israel. Thank you all for being here this morning. I really appreciate it. It's been a very, very busy weekend for so many practitioners. Friday was just a blow up. It was one of those Fridays. It was a dark, dark Friday for cybersecurity practitioners. So many news, so many stories came out. It was trying to get that all under control. So we've got a packed show for all of y'all this morning, and we're going to get right into that here in just a moment. Cyberhelppodcast.com is where you can find all the latest, and you can catch us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Please make sure you go and subscribe to the Cyberhelp Podcast. Check out my Substack as well. Um, you can support me on the Substack. Substack is a paid subscription uh, by the way, uh, you can't, um, and, and I'm writing uh, stuff there every single month, every single week, practitioner stuff. So I'm doing a series this month uh, for March and April on identity, passwordless, uh, the whole story around uh, around all that. And my, my, my recent experience in, in deploying all of these different tools and products and kind of the challenges here and there. So uh, it's, it's a five-part series. You don't want to miss it. Um, you can go catch it on my Substack. The link is in the show notes. Without further ado, let's grab our traditional cup of Joe, my double espresso, coffee cup cheers, lots of stories. We're going to get right into it. Let's start with Mandian being called in to help investigate the supply chain attack that's hit 3CX as evidence continue to, mo- to, to compile and suggest that attackers were in the company's systems for several months. Now, 3CX's VoIP IPPX software is used in more than 600,000 companies worldwide, including dozens of major brands. The incident came to light on March 22nd after the product of several major cybersecurity firms started flagging the 3CDX desktop app for malicious behavior. An investigation revealed that criminals from North Korean's state-sponsored threat actor compromised the Windows and Mac versions of the application, leading to many 3CX customers downloading a Trojanized version of the app. The campaign dubbed Smooth Operator. All right, you can sing with me there. Could impact thousands or even hundreds of thousands of users according to threat detection and response firm hunters there are more than 240,000 3cx phone management systems that are exposed to the internet that's the potential impact of this breach the company detected 2700 instances of malicious 3cxd desktop apps binaries the malware was delivered by the malware delivered by attackers was apparently designed to harvest data from compromised system including browser data there's a whole bunch of opinions on this there's also a lot of fallout with the company and they're unhappy with the way the company actually handled the incident. Some are saying that the malware detection uh, they were told by the company were false positive. Some having had to pay for support tickets to get help in addressing the issues through CXEO, Nick Galea came out and was like saying, well, we checked it in virus total and it didn't flag it as anything suspicious. And so we believed it was a false positive and that's what we reassured their customers do you believe it? Do you not believe it? That's again, I think there's there's a lot we're gonna find out through forensics and through the through this investigation. Could it be reckless? I mean, security is everyone's responsibility, and through CX having multiple security products flagging them, 
if I was their CISO, the first thing I would have done is reach out to all these security vendors that are flagging the activity and ask them, what are you seeing in my product that's making you flag its activity? Could you show me what you're seeing? Then take that internally and have my team investigate. And if they did that, great. And if they didn't, that's a, that, you know, you don't just put something in virus total and say it's clean. It's, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated by it. I'm not, I'm, I'm annoyed a little bit. Hunters, Reversing Lab, Velocity, Todial, and Sissa all have some free tools for victims that they can go check out. Show uh, Links are in the show notes. Go check those out as well. 15 million public-facing services are vulnerable to the CISA known exploit vulnerability flaws. Over 15 million publicly-facing services are susceptible to at least one of the 896 vulnerabilities in the known exploitable vulnerabilities catalog that CISA has. Uh, uh, Resilient used the Shodan web scanning service to find endpoints that are still vulnerable to CVEs in the catalog. They were using their custom queries. Um, you can see CVE 2021. Uh, 40438 with oh, six, almost six and a half million uh, um, Shodan appearances. And that's an information disclosure uh, vulnerability. And you can see here the list, the most, uh, almost half of those are five years old. So roughly 800,000 machines have not applied security updates for a significant period of time. Um, <laughs> something crazy here, the medium severity CV 2021, medium severity information disclosure flaw appearing in almost six and a half million Shodan reports. It's impacting Apache HTTP. Yeah, I feel like we're living in 2017 all over again. Proxy Shell has a set of three vulnerabilities impacting Exchange. Shodan returned almost 15,000 results to that. Proxy Logon, a set of four vulnerabilities impacting Exchange, has around five uh, of almost 5,000 systems still vulnerable to it. And Heartbleed, the flaw impacting OpenSSL, has a whopping 190,000 uh, systems that are still vulnerable to it. You may want to look at this, and there's exploitation attempts just last month um they've seen several exploitation attempts here and so again this goes kind of to the basics of what we try to do the basics of what we're trying to do is maintain a program the fundamental of program is vulnerability management because that's how you defend your existing stack before you add additional tools once you build a good baseline then the tools that you're getting are complementing or providing you visibility or additional insights um activity logs all kinds of of information that you need in order to have the visibility to the crown jewels of your program, that's not always happening here. So there's that as well. Italy has blocked, uh, temporarily blocked chat GPT in the wake of a data breach, as it's saying it's investigating the possible violation of stringent GDPR rules, according to the government watchdog. They have taken action, provisional action, until GBT respects privacy, according to them. U.S.-based OpenAI had developed a chatbot and said late Friday night it has disabled ChatGPT for Italian users at the government's request. The company said it believes its practice complies with European privacy law and hopes to make GBT available again soon. While some public schools and universities around the world have blocked ChatGPT from their local networks over plagiarism concerns, Italy is the first nation-scale restriction of a mainstream AI platform by a democracy. Uh, the restriction affects the web version of ChatGPT popularly used as a writing assistant, but it's unlikely to affect the software application from companies that already have a license with OpenAI and use the same technology driving the chatbot like Microsoft Bing. We'll see where this goes. There's a report of a Chinese hacking group that's likely state-sponsored and has been linked to previous attacks on U.S. state government computers that's still highly active and is focusing on a broad range of targets that may be a strategic interest to China's government and security services, according to 
in a Amer private American cybersecurity firm. The hacking group, which the report calls Red Gulf, shares some close overlap with APT41 or Barium that it's thought that they're either the same or closely affiliated, according to the Insecate group. Um, following on previous reports over Barium, uh, activities and monitoring of the targets that were attacked, Insecate is saying they've identified a cluster of domains and infrastructure highly likely used across multiple campaigns by Red Gulf. Now, this activity itself by China is no, no different. Obviously, the Chinese foreign ministry and the CCP they constantly deny that they're doing any of this. Um, they're they're kind of hide behind the cloak of saying, "Well, it's really not us. We're not doing any of this. We're we're good citizens. We're you know predatory lending in Africa and Latin America. We're corrupting uh, leaders of countries by putting millions and millions of dollars in their pockets." Oh, and by the way, we've got one of the largest cyber armies in the world that's out there doing our bidding um, across the entire globe. So there remain remain highly active they're targeting aviation automotive education government media information technology and religious organization obviously those are all uh, um, sensitive to the chinese communist party uh, in this case they've exploited unknown vulnerabilities in an off-the-shelf commercial web application used by 18 states for animal health management according to mania uh, but it didn't identify which state systems were compromised you know you're wondering when we're going to pull the plug on china at some point we're going to have to um the Chinese are making moves right now because they sense that they can and that they feel that way. So, you know, we as practitioners know the Chinese threat. It's critical that we continue to communicate the Chinese threat because our business decisions in our organizations are going to be dictated by the threat level we give our leaders. So by pointing out to the, by pointing out to the fact that we've got some issues, that we China's a danger to our to our uh, business you might be able to start divesting from china which would be effective uh in another way to combat their their cyber activities as well dish network has been slapped with multiple lawsuits after a ransomware cyber attack took out their network there have been now six law firms that are pursuing a class action lawsuit against dish you know in in in, in injury lawsuits we call them ambulance chasers what do we call them here Hacking chase, hack chasers. I don't know what we call them. So they're now uh, suing to seek to recover losses for Dish shareholders who were adversarially affected by the alleged security frauds. How about their customers? The civil complaint alleges that Dish Network attempted to conceal the fact that it maintained a deficient cybersecurity and IT infrastructure while overstating its operational efficiency. So they're essentially claiming that either the CISO, the chief information, uh, in, the chief uh, inform internal scapegoat officer or the CEO or the CEO or whoever the CISA reported to the CIO underreported this. The CISA will obviously be sacked here. Uh, it's a matter of time before we see that come here. Firm representing the plaintiffs is Rosen, uh, Levi, and Korensky, which is New York-based of uh, Vincent Wong, and San Diego-based Robbins, uh, Brager, Eagle, and Squire, as well as Bernstein and Libhard. The foregoing cybersecurity deficiencies also both rendered dish operations susceptible to widespread service outage and hindered the company's ability to respond to such outages. We'll see. This actually does have some positive uh, uh, connotation for practitioners. You take this to the board. You say, hey, the board, you take this to your executive leadership, say, we're all going to get sued by shareholders. You take this to the board. You say, we're going to get sued by additional shareholders in the event we, we you know, we really do that. And, and what's, what's an insufficient or a deficient cybersecurity and IT infrastructure. Uh, what is that? We don't know. That's going to be up for interpretation. And by the way, 
if this does go to court, if this does get goes to public court, uh, where it doesn't get settled per se like Equifax did, the the idea of deficient is going to be decided by a judge or by a jury who's going to determine what that level of deficiency is. And that's kind of going to be the new benchmark. And that's why I wanted to bring this story to your attention this morning. German police raid DDoS friendly host flight hosting, according to the magnificent Brian Krebs, who's saying that Germany this week sees the internet service that powered fly hosting, which is a dark web website that offered uh, that catered to cyber criminals operating DDoS for higher services. Uh, and that's uh, fly hosting first adver- was advertised on cybercrime forums in November of 2022, saying it was a Germany-based hosting firm that was open for business for anyone looking for a re- reliable place to host malware, botnet controllers, or DDoS for higher infrastructure. A statement released by the German Federal Criminal Police uh, Office says that they served eight search warrants on March 30th, identified five, in- five individuals aged 16 to 24 that are suspect- suspected of operating an internet service since mid-2021. They didn't name the suspects right now but this is down news of the raid it first surfaced on telegram and now the site is down according to the german police cyber police also arrested a fishing gang in the ukraine this is the ukrainian cyber police two of the brehended affiliates are believed to be the organizers with 10 others detained in other territories across the eu the suspects are alleged to have created more than 100 fishing portals aimed at users in france spain portland the Czech Republic, Portugal, and other nations in the region. These websites masqueraded as online portals offering heavily discounted products below market prices to lure unsuspecting users into placing fake orders. In reality, they were stealing financial information and they approximately made $4.33 million in illicit profits before their arrest came. And in our final story this morning, thank you all for being patient with us. The U.S. FDA will require medical devices makers to meet specific cybersecurity requirements when submitting an application for a new product. Guidance issued by the agency on March 30th explains that the new requirements are part of a Consolidated Appropriation Act signed in a law in late 2022, uh, specifically a section titled Ensuring Cybersecurity of Medical Devices, which amended the FDA uh, Cosmetic Act. According to the FDA, submissions for new medical devices will need to include specific cybersecurity-related information, such as a description of a plan for identifying and addressing vulnerabilities and exploits in a reasonable time. The company must also provide details on the process and procedures for releasing post-market updates and patches that address security issues, including thorough regular updates and out-of-band patches in the case of critical vulnerabilities. The information provided to the FDA must also include a software, bill of material, and SBOM for commercial, open-source, and off-the-shelf components. The requirements apply to cyber devices. Apply to all to uh, apply the requirements apply to cyber devices. This is any device that runs software, has the ability to connect to the internet, and could be vulnerable to cyber threats. The new requirements do not apply to submissions prior to March 29th of 2023, and the FDA will not reject applications solely on this requirement until October 1st. Uh, and after October 1st, this will be a requirement. It'll likely get extended because no one will meet, be able to meet that. And that'll be that. That's it for our program this morning and this Monday. I know I seem very cheerful because it's not Monday and I'm recording this early, but I'm on a plane uh, on my way to Israel. Uh, um, well, I, uh, we'll see. We'll find out. But <laughs> the show is here for all of y'all to enjoy. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern, live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch, live from the Holy Land. Till then, tune in. Thank you all for being part of the show. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day. I hope you had a great weekend and stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.